0: Minor League Tracker podcast. I'm your host, Keenan Carter, joined as always by Eric Haas. Haas. Uh, we're doing things a little out of order tonight. Um, had an extensive conversation with Mark Garash, which I think everyone's going to enjoy. We, we talked about um, uh, Jamer Candelario. We talked about James McCann in depth in, in the trade deadline. Talked about some immediate and future bullpen. Uh, reinforcements um, with respect to you know Sandy Baez, Spencer Turnbull, Kyle Funkhauser, Schreiber, Houston, went in depth on all those guys. Um, we talked about Casey Mize and we talked a little bit about the, the Tiger strategy with the draft and how the minor league organization is uh, lacking in impact bats and how we feel about the results of the draft. Um, since we're doing things a little out of order, that indicates that it's late and um we already saw what happened with miggy it also indicates that i've had multiple beverages tonight and um <laughs> so uh i want to get it, get into our listener questions and then we'll, we'll get on to the conversation with mark and then we'll get out of here so what, what, what do we have on facebook
1: yeah several questions actually um but, uh, definitely some things that we touched on with Mark, uh, so I think people will enjoy that, um, as we go along and as they stick around and listen to that. But, uh, a few things that we didn't touch on that, that were asked, uh, Michael Powers was asking about a, a replacement for Shane Green when he's dealt, when and if he's dealt, um, any ideas what, what the Tigers direction will be with, uh, filling that slot if they end up dealing Shane Green? Yes. Jimenez.
0: Oh, uh, Joe Jimenez. Uh, <laughs> obviously, he's he's having an All Star caliber year. We plugged Joe in. Um, I don't know if you saw Gardenhire's comments after the game tonight, but uh, he didn't he didn't want to bring Joe in in the seventh inning in a high leverage situation, have him have him pitch a four out um, outing because um, he's trying to protect him because he's a big part of our future. So. Joe is our closer of the future, and if Shane Green is dealt this year, Joe becomes our closer of the present.
1: Yeah, pretty cut and dry, I think, there. Um, Any news on Perez's uh, bullpen session today? Nope. I haven't heard
0: anything, which is probably a good thing. Haven't heard much about um, Perez's rehab throughout the entire process every now and then emily walden will, will tweet out that there have been no setbacks uh and that's about the extent of the information he was supposed to throw 30 to 35 pitches off the mound today uh i assume that that happened so i haven't heard otherwise um and if if there were any setbacks i would think that you know maybe we'll hear something on wednesday thursday
1: yeah maybe keep chris garin who asked that question on facebook up to date if you find anything out you got it uh Vince Baleca asked uh, who your favorite tiger is growing up, was growing up.
2: Hmm.
0: Man, I have to think about that one.
1: That's <laughs> uh, a sense of a little sarcasm there.
0: Yeah, Sweet Lou. Sweet Lou is my guy. Um, I was born in 1978. Sweet Lou was a, a rookie in 78, and um, he was my childhood hero, always will be. Um, you know, he's not found his way to Cooperstown. But uh, he's, he's a Hall of Famer in my mind, and he's always my
1: Tiger. Very nice. Uh, Jordan Zimmerman, uh, soon to come back, hopefully. And uh, Jack Jordan was wondering who goes down when Zimmerman comes up.
0: Uh, you know, I think he can throw, a, throw a, right-handed, a handful of right-handed pitcher's names in a hat, draw one. And uh, your guess is as good as mine. You know, Stoppold, Verhagen, Lewicki. um, It's kind of been a revolving door uh, between Toledo and Detroit this year with some of those guys. And uh, any one of those guys are legitimate candidates. I'm not going to try and project which one it could be.
1: Yeah. Uh, I had a question about uh, where do fans find us? podcast itself.
0: Well, I mean, if you, if you get to the point where you're hearing the response to this, <laughs> um, I think you've successfully navigated your way. Um,
1: Let's assume they have.
2: <laughs>
0: but, uh, hey, we, we should be on, you know, wherever you go to find podcasts, any platform, iTunes, SoundCloud, Anchor, um, you know, there's, there's probably a handful of other platforms out there wherever you go to find podcasts, you should be able to find us via Detroit Tigers minor league tracker.
1: Which is still, still the name. Unfortunately, still sticking oh. with that, huh?
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, got, got a giveaway going on right now. Um, and what that giveaway's premise was, tell me, tell me what, where you live in relation to uh, the closest tigers minor league affiliate um and we're giving away a dwell logo 8x10 autographed 8x10 that he signed for me at a clippers mudheads game a couple weeks ago along with the miguel cabrera uh, game worn jersey relic card so i'm thinking we need some somebody with some creativity a little marketing background help me with my branding a little bit rename this facebook page and uh I'll find something really good for you. I got a Drew Verhagen 8 by 10 autographs right here on my desk here in my baseball office.
1: There you go. number nice. of different things you can offer out. Very well, nice.
0: Here, here's what I got. Here's what I got. I got Ronnie Rodriguez, El Felino,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: Drew Verhagen, Jared Salta-Lamacchia, hey? and uh,
1: Salty, Jamer Candelario,
0: not for sale not for sale. Oh, hang on that
1: one.
0: <laughs> that one's mine. So I got all five of those guys at the Clippers Mudhens game a couple weeks ago. Maybe give away a couple of those, but Jamer, Jamer stays here.
1: I don't blame you. I don't blame <laughs> you. Uh, this one was too good to pass up. I just got to ask it. Uh, first of all, what's your name? But the best part of this question is, are you part of the Detroit Tigers collectors group? hmm um yes, I am a part of the Detroit Tigers
0: Collectors Group. My name is Keenan Carter. Uh John Swain invited me and um we we talked about this in detail on our last podcast episode. Um usually I just throw in a few bucks here and there and try and win some of the uh contests on minor league auto cards, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh you know A couple weeks back, I had the Robert Fick, 11,111 last hit at Tiger Stadium, walk-off, not walk-off, rooftop, Grand Slam, baseball. And uh, I I think I won that one.
1: I got lucky. Um, (laughs) If you call luck taking up every spot in this auction, then, uh, boy, that's good luck right there.
0: Yep, bought all 10 spots at 3 bucks a pop. So that baseball now sits in my baseball office. And uh, if you want to know the story behind why I wanted that baseball so bad, you can listen to our our last podcast, and we covered that one.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Curtis Nelson, uh, pretty regular on your Facebook page, I know, and uh, he was just wondering if we're going to see Houston or Schreiber in Detroit at all this year.
0: Um, I don't want to answer that because Mark talked about that in depth.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: uh, you're going to have to listen for the next 45 to 50 minutes until we get to that segment. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, so, touched on it quite a bit, though, for sure, yeah, in depth. Yeah.
0: Yep, we ran a well, little heck. long tonight, but it's worth it to to get to the Shriver-Houston conversation with Mark because he's uh, very insightful. He knows what he's talking about. So, uh, And, yeah, yeah Cur- Curtis is a, a fantastic follower. He's always has really good questions.
1: All right, hang it, hang in there, Curtis. Saddle up for the for the long haul. <laughs> uh, where does Mize start his career with the Tigers? You know, it, obviously, you got to think a short season is is probably in the in the future for him. Um, you know, maybe Connecticut or something like that. What do you think about that?
0: Uh, should I answer that one, or should we? I mean, we... well,
1: yeah. I mean, uh, good point. We go into depth with. Uh, uh... with mark on on Mize as well he's got some really really good insight on that um... so yeah we can hang tight on that saddle up for that one too all
0: right
1: sorry and then uh... pat gets asking about when does stewart get called up kind of coupled with a question uh... that dane Cooter uh... asked as well now that cabrera is out for the season does stewart get called up so a couple guys asking about uh... about stewart
0: yeah so if you think it's gonna be tomorrow um, I think you're mistaken. Um, I think the plan is that John Hicks is going to play first base, uh, maybe in a little bit of a platoon with Nico or something like that. McCann and, and Grayson Griner will handle the catching duties, um, and we'll see how that goes for a few weeks. And then if we, you know, we get to the trading deadline sometime in July after the All-Star break, if if we're struggling offensively, we're not able to produce in the middle of that lineup. Uh, yeah, I think we'll see. We could see Christian as early as July something, um, but you know, ideally, ideally he's a September call-up. Um, but the likelihood of him being called up prior to then has just increased significantly.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think uh, you, you mentioned Grayson Griner in your in that answer as well, uh, kind of filling a slot here or there. Uh, in that scenario, um, and Rick Morris was asking if he's the catcher of the future or not. But touched quite a bit on that in the uh, in the questions with Mark Garage as well. Uh, when talking about the can, so um, we'll touch on that uh, in the interview as well. Uh, and Josh Snyder asked, "When were, when are we getting a good, a better bullpen?"
0: Um, I think we spent 30 to 35 minutes uh, specifically talking about the bullpen and scouting light-headed pitchers, more or less, right? So, um, listen on. Mark's, Mark's, uh, well-informed, uh, well-schooled baseball guy, and he gives you some really fantastic insight as to, uh, the state of our bullpen and hopefully the future of our bullpen.
1: Yeah. Yeah, very good. Well yeah, I think that's uh pretty much covered uh all the listener comments questions. So uh I think everybody'll enjoy uh listening to the interview with Mark, so
0: Yeah, host. Uh, again, appreciate you. You're the only you're the only person on the planet that would uh do this for me on a Tuesday night, not only uh sit around and talk about the Tigers for several hours, but re record this segment because I'm a moron. <laughs> um and 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 didn't have the record button pressed the first time we talked about it, so I want to make sure uh I give you the opportunity to uh tell me who your childhood hero was because we talked about it the first time we recorded this, and we kind of dropped it this time around so let's come back to that
1: oh yeah we, we well yeah when when you were asked about uh who your favorite tiger was growing up it you know it immediately makes me think back and Uh, You you had mentioned the first time we recorded that about your extensive uh, card collection uh, growing up of sweet Lou. So automatically makes me think about uh, pulling out my uh, treasured book and and looking at all my Eric Davis cards, my extensive Eric Davis uh, collection. So uh, definitely one of my heroes growing up and loved watching him play at least when he was on the field. So, uh, Touched up a bit uh, from here, from time to time, but certainly a, a pretty electric player.
0: Yeah, so. it's 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 crucial to note that he is a former Tiger. Um, <laughs> I, I I don't know. I think he played like a quarter of a season for the Tigers in like '93 or something like that. I don't know. Somewhere around the strike
1: era. But yeah, uh, uh, yeah, nothing like nothing like the. Uh, I read an article uh, just a week or so ago uh that somebody forwarded me I th- I think it was one of our buddies on our uh, group text chain actually that uh, sent over an article about uh Eric Davis having one of the best full season stretches in major league baseball history. Uh it just wasn't in the same season. It was the end of uh, there was the end of a season and the beginning of another season and uh you know, basically, the guy almost went almost went 50, 100 with uh, 40 I think yeah, it was, it was 86, June 18th, '86 to July 10th, '87, 49 home runs and 93 stolen bases over a span of 162 games. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah That yeah. is ridiculous. Quite an athlete. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't
0: know, maybe 89. 8990 or 8889 something like that 8990 I'm guessing um which is interesting I got all, I'm down here in my baseball office my newly created baseball office got all my baseball cards out here I decided to pull out from my childhood and just start getting reacquainted with them and and on the top of the red stack it's a 1989 Topps Eric Davis card so uh that's that's kind of and, and and on top of the and on top of the Tiger stack it's a 1989 Future Star Steve Searcy card. So
1: <laughs> uh, uh, the Reds won that battle.
0: Yeah. So Steve Searcy would slot nicely into our current bullpen. <laughs> so very and, good. Hey man, appreciate your time again tonight. Uh, without further ado, we, we'll just go right into Mark's conversation and and thanks everybody for listening. All
3: right. So key, give me a give me a fast, down and dirty about what you'd like to do, and so at least I can. Hopefully, sound moderately intelligent for you, and uh, <clears throat> we can give you a coherent podcast.
0: Oh, don't worry about it. Um, I mean, I set you the agenda points. I've got you know some notes written down, so I'll kind of lead lead you into some things.
3: Um, okay.
0: And don't Great. hold back. You know, don't hold back. I know you don't. Um, I- I- here's the thing, though. You know, I don't know how to introduce you. Um, to say, you know
3: uh is 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 this oriented towards tiger fans? Uh yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay. Hey, you you can you can consider us live at this point.
3: Okay, great. That's... You know, I I think that many many tiger fans are, you know, my posts over the years on Twitter or other tiger places or heard me on a podcast or two with uh with Raj and Chris or with Brandon in I, uh, I'll do the best I can to, uh, pretend that I know a few things.
0: Yeah, I guess, the, you know, the way I describe you is, the prominent figure in the Tigers online community. How about that? How's that sound? That, that, that
3: would be far better than I deserve.
0: Okay. And, uh, you know, vocal, um, opponent of the current Tigers front vo-
3: office? How about vocal of Al Avila critic?
0: Okay, critic is a is a soft word, um, but but we'll roll with that. That's fine. Um, so let's kind of dive right into you know some of the agenda points we had. You and I are both big Jamer fans. Uh, you know, before we get to Jamer, we we were going to start on a I was going to start on a good note, but obviously we got the Tigers game going on. I think you saw what happened to Miggy there. Um, it's kind of unfortunate. Disappointing yeah and uh but you had tweeted out something today about the fact that he hasn't even barreled up a ball since May first. I don't know how many games he's had since he's been back from the d l but he's not exactly been been that force in the middle of the lineup for us lately to be
3: honest about Miguel and that is I would say that uh probably neck and neck with l k line Miguel Cabrera is over my fifty plus years of being a tiger fan my my favorite tiger player. I have uh, much love for him. <clears throat> I rarely, if ever, criticize him. He's one of the few that I give a wide berth of uh try, trying not to to bring up some of the negatives that other people like to bring up. But what I will share with you is is that um, after last season, he, you know, I think Miggy's biggest downfall is is that he loves to play. He gets very frustrated when he does not play. And often he has played hurt most of the time when we needed him to, and now recently when we don't need him to. And it becomes to the naked eye pretty apparent that he is a diminished Miguel Cabrera. Would that be a nice way to say it?
0: Oh, I think that's accurate.
3: Okay. And, you know, he swung the bat very well in April. It wasn't Vintage, but it was 70% of vintage. Hit the ball hard often. Um, Hit the ball over people's heads numerous times. And since he's returned, he looks very much like he did in 2017 when he had disc problems. He is swinging all arms, very little lower half, can't drive the ball. But he has such impeccable hand-eye coordination and timing, he is able to hit singles. Uh... Or occasionally hit the ball down a, down a foul line, but he hasn't driven the ball over anyone's head, and I had suspected that he hadn't, and I think, uh, Casey Boguslaw, who is pretty famous for inventing barrels, or inventing tracking barrels even more than StatCast had initially, uh, considered Casey a friend, and I asked him today how many Barrels did Miguel Cabrera have since he returned from injury, and he told me zero, which is wow. what I had suspected. So it's not a ton of at-bats. It's probably 45 at-bats, well, 45 plate appearances total. He had not hit the ball over anyone's head even once. So I would say He's not healthy, and I think we saw tonight that that's exactly what the problem is. He's not healthy. Yeah. So I mean, if,
0: if we look over the course of his career, how many forty-five at-bat
3: stretches does
0: he have with zero barrels? I don't think we'll find too many.
3: Uh, Probably correct. I would be. I would venture to say you could probably count them on one hand, if if even that many. So. Great. All right, well,
0: that's a somber topic. Let's move to something we both like and that's Jamer Candelario. Um I think you've tweeted out a few times this season, uh, you know, Jamer Candelario baseball player. and I I, I really like that. That's that's an adequate description of what I see when I watch him play ball too. Um he, he you know, when, when that trade happened with the Cubs, I don't, I don't he wasn't considered the centerpiece of that trade, right? It was all about Paredes for us. Um how, how
3: did, I I would say he was every bit as prominent a piece in that trade as Paredes. You know, Paredes is 19 years old playing at low A, and I think when you, unless a, unless a player is ranked in the top, say 15 of prospects in low A, mm-hmm. every, every prospect beyond, you know, between 15 and 130 that's in low A is a lottery ticket there's just so many things that can happen that in in development and there's such a vast difference between low A and high A and then high A and double A that, you know, the fact that Candelario is playing at Triple A at Iowa, I, I I would say if you asked Al Avila, he would tell you that Candelario was probably the more prominent piece in that trade and that the other two players were had you know, skills, but you really, and you still don't. Paredes know what you have. I, I think, you know, Paredes is hitting 230 in Lakeland. It's a tough league to hit in, but he's hitting 230 in Lakeland, so <coughs> he has skills. He's just not a baseball player yet. Right, right. Um, I, I, nonetheless,
0: I mean, yeah, Candelaro, we, we got a guy that was, you know, young, major league ready, uh but he, he wrapped 27 doubles in 81 games with Iowa last year. Like he, he demonstrated this approach throughout his minor league career, but I don't think any of us saw this coming at the major league level to the degree that he's demonstrated it.
3: Oh, I would agree a hundred percent with you. I mean, and I think that have they had some good fortune with it? Absolutely. But um, I think anybody that knows me or follows me a little bit understands that my biggest frustration with what, the Tigers have done in the Avila era, okay, Mm -hmm. is that they've never profiled hitters. So, in other words, good good organizations, when they're trying to acquire any type of player, whether it's a pitcher or a position player, they have a profile of types of skills that they value over other skills. And they make a concerted effort to try and acquire players that possess those skills they prioritize things okay so if you look at you know it's real easy to see look at the new york yankees types of hitters and aside from miguel andujar almost every one of their players takes a lot of pitches they have strike zone discipline they walk they work counts and they're disciplined at what type of pitches they swing at their pitchers Mostly throw hard, but they do have some developed breaking balls. They, 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 the Yankees have a very standardized type of player that they pursue, and each good team in the major leagues you could say something similar about. And Heimer Candelario is one of the first players who's young that the Tigers have tried to acquire that actually has strikes on discipline, plate discipline, works counts, will walk. And normally those type of players have a lot more success if they have bat speed at succeeding at the plate because they're swinging at pitches that are drivable as mm-hmm. opposed to just making contact. You know, like somebody like Dewell Luga who has four walks on the year.
0: He 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 just doubled, he just doubled that output in one game though.
3: Correct, but it's very difficult to (laughs) be a good hitter. If, it's great that you can make contact with almost anything, but I think when you, in the age of these kinds of pieces of data that you can see all the time, and you know, hot zones are nothing new, but the way they can grind them down now, they can see even more what types of pitches you can get good exit velocity on, what pitches you can drive, what pitches you have success on in certain particular areas and counts. It, it's mandatory that you can apply some of that data to what you're you know, to, if you have plate discipline and pitch recognition you, you hit better pitches and you have more success and I don't think there's any coincidence in the fact that Heimer Candelario, besides Victor Martinez and Miguel Cabrera, has by far the best pitch recognition skills on the baseball team. So
0: no, no question, no
3: question. And I thought it was evident
0: in spring training. You could just see the at bats he was putting together. He was he was going deep into counts. Rarely swings at a bad pitch. Um, Kind of surprised to see when I looked at his numbers, his splits against lefties versus righties. He's
3: significantly
0: more productive uh, from the right side this year,
3: um, but I, I
0: wouldn't know that unless I really looked it up.
3: Um, yeah, it's a small sample size too, though. He's probably got 50 yeah. at bats right handed, so you can you know have two or three good games that can skew things. I mean, I, I think mm-hmm. though, if you look last year, he also had really you know pretty solid numbers. He walked an inordinate amount of the time and. You know, on a team like the Detroit Tigers, those things stick out quite a bit because, you know, when you have so few players that draw walks, uh, one that does take pitches shockingly stands out. So. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And I just, I like the way he carries himself. Um, he just carries himself like someone who's way beyond 24 years and in his uh, I guess you call it his second full season of Major League Baseball. He's just a mature player. Um, he, he's never going to win a Gold Glove, but I like the way he plays third base, and he just looks like a confident baseball player. I like having him on my team.
3: Uh, I think that there's a term for it in, in basketball players, and I think that uh, what it, it would apply to him. And I think he's a he's the baseball equivalent of a gym rat. Grew up in a hitting facility. His father has a hitting facility in New York. And uh, just likes to play baseball, man. So yeah. okay. I think we we should thank uh, Theo Epstein. Uh, <laughs> but we should also, you know, thank uh, the fact that they had Avi Baez and, uh, and Chris Bryant because they had so many guys that were capable of playing third base um, that they knew that it would be unlikely that he would find much playing time for them, although they may reconsider that idea now. But uh, and uh we were the beneficiaries of it. Although I did see Justin Wilson strike out the side last night, and he's on one of those roles that Justin Wilson does get on where for six to eight weeks he can be pretty darn dominant. He sure. has been pretty darn dominant for the Cubs, I think, I don't think Detroit fans really know how good he's been the last six weeks, but I think his ERA is down into the two fives right now, so and he's struck out quite a few guys. He's walked quite a few, but he struck out quite a few also, so
0: Yeah, I I think most of us have already declared that trade a victory for us and we're not gonna look back and reverse I, that. I
3: think everybody has declared that a victory. The problem <laughs> is is we don't we don't have enough trades like that trade to declare victory on.
0: Agreed. All right uh moving on a little bit um uh, you also h- had listed out today talking about the trade deadline just kind of your list of guys you expected to be candidates at the trade deadline and um the one that jumped out at me was james mccann and i just started thinking all right so what's our plan in the event someone we do find a suitor for james mccann we get anything back for him what, what's the tiger strategy if that happens well i,
3: I would say that based upon the fact that we are a rebuilding baseball team, and we can talk a little bit about James McCann after I qualify this answer, but based upon the fact they're a rebuilding baseball team, they have uh, John Hicks and, you know, and Griner to catch. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think those guys, either one of them, is a huge downgrade from James McCann. And I think in this period of time, based on... McCann costs four million dollars a year. He's not getting any less expensive and, uh, you know, it's been a while and I think James McCann in many ways is what he is. Okay. Um, I would be more than fine with allowing, you know, Breiner and Hicks to do the catching the rest of this year. And at the same time, I think we can hope that Jake Rogers They continue to try to tweak his swing and, uh, sometime next year he can, you know, start getting some major league at bats and we can see if he'll provide enough offense to obviously go with some superior defense to what we're getting now. So, I mean, I'd like to at least be fair-minded about talking about James, you know, James McCann. I think my disdain for his skill set has gone on for many years. He's been one of the worst I think it's no secret he's been one of the worst framers in baseball and depends on what framing data you look at. Uh he's always been in the bottom two percent of all catchers. Mm -hmm. This year, however, probably the most reliable data collection Actually, this year, they have been very favorable to the improvement of James McCann, both in framing and some blocking. Mm -hmm. Uh, His throwing has always been pretty decent. So defensively, he is rated much better than he has been in the prior three years. So I just want to be fair-minded and not sound like a broken record that doesn't do their homework about sure. when they're ripping players. McCann has gotten better. I, I have mentioned many, many, many times that he is a horrendous pitch caller and rarely understands how to call pitches. And I think that he had many issues with the prior regime with Osmus And I think that you saw many times Rich Doobie go to the mound and <laughs> yell at James McCann, not the pitcher. And this year you've seen Garden Hire address multiple times when he was unhappy with what pitches were called. Michael Fulmer's been unhappy, Shane Green's been unhappy. Because, you know, James McCann is just doesn't understand what the call went and that's a huge part in, of of being a good catcher and in helping your your team win baseball games. So mm-hmm. uh but yeah, I think I think McCann is Everybody needs catchers. There are other catchers on the market. you got Lou Croy, you have, you know, Wilson Ramos. There's going to be some catchers on the market. But James McCann, Young, he's not super expensive. He's controllable for a few more years. He'll, he'll have some value, and they'd be foolish not to listen if someone was going to discuss him.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he's a good-looking kid. He's a nice kid. You kind of want to like him. Maybe you, start, you think he's better than he really is. Um, you know, he runs into a barrel every now and then at a key moment. Um and, and he can hit lefties. Uh, you know, listen, he's got 23 career home runs in 413 plate appearances against lefties and 13 home runs in 992 plate appearances against righties. So it's just yeah. a, it's a, he can be a platoon catcher, right? At I best? I think
3: he'd be a, I think he'd be a really, really, I mean, look, I think he'd be a really good platoon catcher. I also think that it's unrealistic to think that he would get, you know, no plate appearances against right-handers, but at the same time, mm-hmm.
2: he, <coughs> excuse
3: me, I have a catcher that has slightly over a 600 career OPS as a right-hand hitter. Um, right. he, he can't be getting 300 plate appearances a year. He just doesn't have the defensive Skill set to warrant being a 600 OPS hitter so you know that that's the frustration level with you know some of the things they do in managing their baseball team that's not on the manager the manager only can play who you know it's like it 's like blaming sure. the waiter for the food okay mm-hmm. <laughs> if, you have ba- if you have bad food you know it's the chefs. Responsibility to 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 make the food and to get ingredients. You can't you can't blame the waiter who brings it to you. So it's it's hard to get mad at Gardenhire for playing McCann because he's just doing what they're telling him to do. Right. Well, you know, let
0: me let me preface this next statement by letting you know that Erie, the vaunted Erie offense, is up eleven nothing right now in the top of the seventh. Um, but but Jake Rogers has hit two home runs tonight. So
3: he has hit two home runs tonight. That's correct. Did you, did you get a chance to, it's, there, there's some timeliness to this discussion key because did you (laughs) get a chance to read Jeff Seidel's article that was strikingly one of the first articles that actually went in depth and asked a bunch of questions was Mm -hmm. pretty critical and at the same time fair-minded and I was glad to see somebody took the time to to write something at this point in time of the year on Jake Rogers and what he's done poorly and what they're doing about trying to change that. And yep. it's, it seems interesting that he, <laughs> he all of a sudden starting to hit the baseball the last week, huh?
0: Yeah. It's three home runs in the past couple of days, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did read that and read sweet. That was a really good article. It talked about, you know, acknowledging that there's a hole in his swing Um, that's causing him to take uppercuts i've i've you know been a little vocal about some other things i don't like about his swing he's got a giant leg kick that i think uh, he gets his weight shifting forward way too early and leaves him vulnerable uh against breaking pitches and on the outer half against really good pitching in double a so um i I think he needs to lose that leg kick and
3: um or at least modify it
0: shorten up a little bit yeah yeah give himself some more plate coverage but you know, I've, I've seen him struggling with velocity. I think he's he's got to be in his head at this point. I mean, he's he's hitting a buck 79, and we're coming up on the All Star break, so he's you know he's got some work to do. But it sounds like he's got a really good attitude, and uh, he's kind of taking it all in stride. And um, he's a dynamite defensive catcher, so he's always going to have that in his back pocket. So hey, we'll see.
3: I think the most ama- the most amazing thing that I saw about Jake Rogers. He had 25 doubles last year in High A. Yeah, he had zero. <laughs> he, had, he had zero doubles in the middle of June. I think he's probably got 150 or 160 plate appearances, and that's just hard really to believe. It's, it's 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 mind-boggling. I mean, that's really really hard to do. Really hard. <laughs> I don't even think Jose Iglesias could do that.
1: Hey, he smoked that triple in the
3: right field corner tonight. I I. I <laughs> I'm actually sitting outside tonight so that I can, uh, try to keep things quiet and not, uh, draw the ire of, uh, my wife, so. Oh, oh,
0: okay. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, sorry you're missing the game. You'll catch it later,
2: I hope. Yeah, I got the first, I caught the
3: first inning here but, um, you know, I've, I've seen, I've seen enough Tiger baseball this year that, uh, missing a few innings tonight is not going to kill me. Understood. Okay. Um,
0: all right, so let's talk about some minor leaguers now. This is the Detroit Tigers Minor League Tracker Podcast. Um, I wanted to get into a couple guys who are on the 40-man and um, talk about whether, you know, they could be – here's another tweet from you today. It was something about um, the number of flawed right-handed pitchers the Tigers have. Um so I wanted to talk about these other guys we've got down in the minors, Sandy Baez and Spencer Turnbull, and talk about whether they are potential remedies to that in 2018 and more than just a spot start capacity. First, let's address
3: what I was referring to, okay? Okay. Yep. So let's discuss a few names here, which are all very consistent. When I talked about how other teams have profiles, obviously the Tigers have their profile. So let's bring them up. Buck Farmer. Zach Reininger, uh, Drew Verhagen, Johnny Barbato, uh, who obviously they did not draft. Mm-hmm. Um, Artie Lewicki, who shockingly I am growing to like more than I thought I might because I see some potential if they do a few things with him. But the bottom line is they love SEC pitchers, all right-handed, throw. All You know, 92 to 94, a couple of them throw harder than that. I'll have flawed breaking breaking stuff, and we all have the inability after four or five years to really locate on a consistent basis more than four or five hitters at a time Mm -hmm. anything. And so what ends up happening is they can get minor leaguers out, but they really, really struggle to get major league hitters out because I've been schooled by some pretty smart baseball people, ex major league people, that triple-A uh, hitters, so maybe they make you pay for a mistake four or five out of ten times. Major league hitters will make you pay for a mistake, even weak major league hitters eight or nine out of ten times. So take a guy like Drew Verhagen. He can dominate. A triple-A. Comes up here, makes a mistake. Boom. Boom, boom, boom. (laughs) Buck Farmer, he can get through an inning. He can throw a really, really dominating inning. Comes out for the second inning. Very difficult for him in the second (laughs) inning. I think that we've seen that quite a bit this year. Mm -hmm. You know, Zach Reiniger. Uh, I think you know. Look, Zach's done a great job getting to where he's getting to, but you know I'm not so sure he's dominated enough at Toledo to just, justify being in the major league. They're just so thin at having ever developed any real pitching. You know, he—it's not a tryout camp if you're a good team, but if you're the Detroit Tigers and you've drafted horrendously for a decade or more, it is a tryout camp. So what do they have to lose? So they have. A poorly managed 40-man roster with a bunch of right-handed pitchers that really are not very good. And hopefully, as you said, we have the possibility of guys like Baez and Turnbull and Funkhauser Maybe they'll be a little bit better. We'll have to see. Um, I, I, I think that you and I have discussed a few times, Sandy Baez, Spencer Turnbull, I think, you know, they're relievers. If you talk to other Tiger Prospect writers, you know, like our mutual friend Chris Brown or Brandon Day, they'll share probably a similar feeling about them. They're relievers. Funkhauser, we'll have to see. I mean, he's probably in my mind, from a consistency standpoint behind Baez and Turnbull just from a consistency standpoint. So no, but all three of those guys have good arms. We just don't know if they can consistently locate pitches. And you, have to lo- you have to locate them for like 80 pitches over a period of, you know, three times through in order to be a starting pitcher, you know. So I don't know if any of those guys can do that. They can do it in flashes, but they have to be able to do it on a consistent basis. Yeah. What's, your, what's your thoughts about that? You, you, you tend to watch a lot more of Erie than I do. Um, I've not seen a ton of Baez, and I, in fact, didn't even see his major league
0: appearance. Um, You know, my my understanding from from James Chipman, you know, is that Baez um, can dial it up to the, you know, 96, 97 if he wanted to, but he's more effective when he lives more in the low 90s, 93, 94, because he gets a little more sinking action there. Mm -hmm. Um, I think his secondaries are, are fringy. I guess you could say, and he's unlikely to, to make that slider and change up into a starter-worthy arsenal. Um, as for Turnbull, I saw him throw a 97 in the ninth inning last week, so it was with serious movement, and um, his breaking pitch was was filthy, um, at least against minor league hitters, but I thought Funkhauser's breaking pitch looked filthy, and you told me otherwise. So, you know, I, I, I'm still not at a point yet where I can project whether these are pitchers that are going to get major league hitters out. Um, but I see Turnbull. I think Turnbull looks like a, a potential seventh, eighth inning guy. Um, and just, you know, Funkhauser flipped six shutout innings tonight, seven strikeouts, three hits. So that's that's two really good outings for him in a row. We need to see him, like, string together some consistent outings. Um, but, yeah, I guess that's where I am. I, turn you know, turning turn ball into a fastball slider guy and, uh, go get me three outs. It's kind of like we're trying with Buck Farmer, but like you said, the problem is they ask Buck Farmer to get six outs and, uh, his stuff doesn't play for two innings.
3: Yeah, Buck, Buck Farmer is, it's frustrating because he, he hasn't stopped. He has a really, really good change up. He should be a good reliever. I think they ask him to do things that, He's not capable of doing. He has some mechanical flaws. He has something called a head whack, which when he tilts his head he tilts his head to the side, you know, towards his left shoulder, towards his glove side and it uh it creates some problems with him locating pitches where he wants them to go. I mean sometimes they go where he wants them to go and sometimes they don't. So and you know, but this is you know, Buck Farmer's got one option left, he's been here. I think this is his fifth year, and you would think if they could fix them, they'd have fixed them. So mm-hmm. it's it's the same thing I had to say about Drew Verhagen. I was, you know, I'm, I'm I'm friendly with quite a few writers, and I was teasing John Wagner, the Toledo Blade writer, when he came back. As John, some dominated Toledo, and we had a little back and forth, and I was teasing him, and sure enough, he threw pretty well for nine hitters and and it was like a fireworks display
0: yeah that, that was that was tough for verhagen because when, when he did go down to toledo he did things that he'd never done in his career at any level in terms of strikeouts like he was mowing people down at you know um, like he was around 14 15 strikeouts for nine in his in his little stint down in toledo and you're all i mean you couldn't help but think man did they tweak something mechanically that he actually figured something out, and then he, you know, he goes up,
3: and of course they put him
0: in front of the Yankees and throws one clean inning, and then it's just like a,
3: no, he actually threw three. He threw three good innings. What, yeah,
0: was it three? Yeah, one time through the lineup, fantastic, and then it was just
3: kaboom. so, so now people you know, I I can tell you that, you know, the t- the Tigers are in a. You know they they can afford to be patient with a few things. It's not like people are lined up for them to be recalled they don't they don't really have a lot of guys I actually noticed I don't know if you noticed this um key that uh they signed this this guy that used to be in the Marlin system that kind of left hander
0: thought yeah, oh, okay.
3: i think he I think he threw in uh I think he threw last night in Lakeland, but you know he's got a pretty long history he's appeared i think he's pitched about fifty or sixty major league innings um decent amount of strikeouts obviously some command issues looking at his walk rate, but uh I'm sure. It's you know they're gonna it's gonna be a little bit like a tryout camp now. You're gonna start seeing guys. You might see Victor Alcantara, um, who last year was frighteningly bad. (laughs) He came up, he wasn't ready, and in spring he looked pretty interesting because his change is very very good, and Mm -hmm. he strung together some consistently decent weeks at Toledo, but he is not on the forty. Uh, because they made other choices, but I would say at this point in time, you know, Johnny Barbado and, let's just say, Greiniger, if you DFA'd them, I mean... Oh, what's, 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 is there a problem that you lost them or no? <laughs> no.
0: We got Jacob Turner now.
3: So, yep, there's, listen, that's, <laughs> he's the poster boy for what the problem is of I mean, I I like that they signed Jacob Turner. Jacob sure, Turner throws nine throws ninety six miles an hour and he's got a great curveball. The problem is he's really good for one hitter and bad for three hitters and you know, they got a lot of pitchers that have major league stuff in minor league command. That's the famous profile of Detroit Tiger pitchers. So
0: All right, so we're just, I guess we're going to continue to see this revolving door of essentially the same right-handed reliever for the rest of the season. Um, You know, 2019, I was going to mention Alcantara. He's he's on a nice little run here, but, you know, he's got some fastball command issues, right? Um,
3: Mm, You know, I'll tell you something that's very interesting that I would. I'm I'm still skeptical if he's a major league caliber reliever. But here's something interesting about Victor Alcantara. He's walked two people for the entire year. That's impressive. So he bumped. He's had a decent amount of hits, but he's obviously throwing the ball around the plate, so. <gasps> we've got control.
0: Yep, we've got a hone command. <laughs>
3: That's you know it's it beat it beats the alternative, which is you know walking five or six guys a nine, yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. but I, I think you'll you'll probably see him before it's over. I think that once bias and Turnbull get up to about hundred and fifteen innings, which will probably be you know sometime late in July after the trade deadline that at some point in time. Because they are on the forty, you, mm-hmm. you're going to see them. And whether they get spot starts or pitching relief, I don't really think it matters that much. They need experience. Pitchers need experience in the major leagues because you know it's it's a whole different ballgame in the major leagues. So,
0: do you want to touch on that Funkhauser slider and your 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 uh, evaluation of that pitch?
3: Well, I, I you know I haven't seen it a lot, but what I've seen is, you know the what I did like the other night. Everybody really liked that slider that uh, struck out Kendall Rogers. And listen, Kendall Rogers is arguably in the top five prospects in baseball. He sure's heck can hit, but Kendall Rogers has not exactly got the greatest plate discipline on earth these days. But the slider that I saw that got everybody excited. Basically, it almost was off the plate to begin with. And since he got two really good fastballs and zero plate discipline and he swung at it, I didn't love the shape of it. I mean, Major League hitters, it's going to be pretty difficult to get them to swing at that stuff. Major League, you know, I, I think we've talked about this a little bit. I think it was one of the most impressive things about watching Turnbull the other night is, you know, there's a big way to describe how hitters view pitches now, it, um, people I'm sure hear about it all the time. It's called tunneling, which is when pitches seem to come out of the same keyhole, appear to be the same pitches, mm-hmm. on the same plane, and then all of a sudden they do different things. And <clears throat> Turnbull's pitches were very good about that. I did not think Funkhauser's pitches were, you know, tunneled very well, especially as slider. So I, I need to see a little bit more of that. And granted, if I could see him throw more, I would have a more knowledgeable opinion about that. From, but what, from what I've seen, didn't love the shape of it. So
0: okay. I'll get you some video on that. I'll get you some more video on
3: that. Because get, I want you know, I wanna... I, I, you know usually Chip is good about getting me stuff like that. But you know, now he's in eerie. I don't get to see as much stuff. So. Um, you know, I mean, like, a, you know, I think there's a lot of debate right now about guys like uh Fado. There's a lot of debate. There's a huge amount of debate about how good Fado is, even though he's getting people out. You know, mm-hmm. there are a lot of scouts that are dis- disappointed in the caliber of this stuff. So, okay. Uh, Excuse hey, Haw- me, my 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 neighbor's dog Emmy is talking to me. So <laughs> I apologize for interrupting the podcast by going in her you. That's
0: all right. So. She a Tigers fan. <laughs> she is
3: a fan of anybody with a ball in their hand. Okay.
0: Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, Hoff, you fall asleep over there?
1: Not asleep. Enjoying the interview though. <laughs> all right. No. Hey, chime, no. chime in no. anytime, no, no, hey, man. No, no problem. Just, you know, one of the questions that I had for you, Mark, was kind of related to the right-handed pitching aspect of development. And, uh, you know, is it fair to assume that most organizations struggle finding the right kind of right-hander to develop? And, uh, you know, you know, I, there's so many of them drafted. I mean, how, how can you figure out which ones are going to work out and which ones aren't? You know, that's a very,
3: That's a super fair question. I want you to know, and I would say that you know, there's, thir- there's thirty major league teams, and probably twenty three of them struggle with that. So, but, yeah, that's
1: that's kind of where where I was going with that. But I mean, that you know, listen, I think you and I both wish we were one of those seven.
3: At it. I mean look here he, here's here's the curious thing to me okay and and I've brought this up many many times, and there there was a time that I was you know i I've been critical of the idea that Avila was the general manager, probably from two months after they hired him okay um I didn't like how it all went down, I think that he Was never held accountable for how much input he had in the Dabrowski era. His duties were pretty vast in that era. I'm sure he had a ton to do with scouting. And it's not like all of a sudden he decided he, you know, somebody decided to listen to him about analytics. I think, you know, when Mr. Illich decided to tell him that he wasn't going to renew Dave's contract because he didn't want to pay Dave $7 million like Andrew Friedman got from the Dodgers, that a good way to sell Mr. Illich was is to posture it like, yeah, he'd had all these analytics ideas for years and Dave didn't listen to him. And I'm sure there was a lot of selling himself. And God knows if I was him, I would have done anything I could to sell myself too. Okay. And, yes, this year, they're doing a lot of things analytically that they've never done before. God bless them. Thank God. Okay. (laughs) You know, but the, but the bottom line is to answer your question is, look, it, it's very difficult to scout players. But if you have a flawed profile of what kind of player and how you measure his skills and then are unwilling to understand who you need to hire to develop those skills and how much you might need to pay them, that's also part of the problem. So, you know, right, you keep, right. If, if you keep looking for things in the wrong places, or when you do find them, you don't have the correct tools to get them out of the ground or to, to refine them so that they're useful. It's so like it's if you, if you were all trying to, if you were a warehouser and you were, like in my business, you were trying to get lumber, okay. It's great if you can find the right trees, but if you don't cut them down right, you don't mill them right, you don't understand. I mean, what do you got? You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Th- th- that's part of what my frustration has been with the Detroit Tigers organization is is it's not for a lack of money or resources. It's for a lack of how intelligently they've gone about trying to separate themselves From the pack. I mean, why, why, for a team that had a $200 million payroll, did they have a deficient analytics department, a deficient parts of their technology? Have they developed players poorly? Explain all that to me. It's not like all that. I mean, for an extra 5 or $6 million, they could have had all that. That's Mm -hmm. the least expensive expense in trying to generate players. And, you're investing in yourself on top of it, and if you hit on two or three players every two years and those players play for you, or even if they're assets that you can use in trades, it still is, is a big part of how you you run an organization. And they have been woefully efficient in those areas. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it makes sense.
2: Yeah,
0: it's, it's, it's playing out on the field right now. I mean, we've got a tight ball game. Lewis Coleman's on the hill
2: with runners on
0: and we've got Warwick Soffold warming in a high leverage situation,
3: you know, potentially. So that, I mean, that's,
0: that's what we're dealing with.
3: Warwick Soffolds, how, what, what inning is the game? Cause I'm still outside.
0: It, it's top seven.
3: Okay. Well, they're obviously waiting to use, the, the bottom line is that they don't have anybody besides Lewis Coleman to pitch the seventh inning that they feel reasonably comfortable with. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is probably the second best season in Lewis Coleman's eight years of appearing in various major league seasons. Yeah. You know?
2: This was supposed
0: to be Buck Farmer's inning. Yeah. You know, when the season started, we hoped that could be Buck
3: Farmer's inning, but. Yeah.
0: Uh, so, you know, let, let's, Let's. I want to. I do want to stay on the topic of right-handed pitchers. Go ahead. And I, and I want to talk about my guy, John Schreiber, and Zach Houston. And um, you know, I, I, I'm a Schreiber guy. I know you're a Schreiber guy. But I've you mm-hmm. know seen some seen some footage of Houston lately, and man, he's got some impressive stuff. And he's kind of skyrocketed through the system. And so I started second guessing myself. Like, is Schreiber really the guy here? Like, is that slider going to play at the big league level? And then I look at Houston just throwing flames. Um, so, it, so I'm trying to, you know, not that we need to compare these two guys necessarily, but totally different to, guys. Sure, sure. Uh, so you know, you've got some questions about Houston, and you're a big Schreiber fan. Tell me what you mm-hmm. like about tell me what you like about those guys, uh, and what you know what they need
3: to do to be successful at the next level. Well, it's an old guy, give you the old guy's version about pitching, hitting his timing pitching is upsetting that timing mm-hmm. so Schreiber has good stuff but he has the capacity from the arm angle he uses and from the way he mixes pitches to upset people's timing and i think you know we've all talked when we collectively talk all us prospect watchers and pseudo baseball analysts that uh John Schreiber reminds a lot of people of Joe Smith, who's probably pitched for seven or eight teams, but he seems to pitch for seven or eight good teams now. (laughs) He's always the guy moving to a team that needs somebody who can throw an inning or get right-hand hitters out who's a pennant contender Mm -hmm. because he has deception. His stuff is pretty good. Schreiber actually even throws harder than Joe Smith does. Joe Smith's been in the league now for eight or nine years, and so... That would be, you know, Shriver's a guy that can pitch in the seventh or eighth inning. He might not be able to pitch a whole inning at the major league level eventually, but he he might. He at worst can probably pitch to a few hitters. I worry how he's going to do against lefties, but that might be a process. Okay, mm-hmm. Zach Houston. Mm-hmm. Here's what I'll say. Um, I've seen him in person. Saw him at West Michigan last year. I uh, saw him with. I sat between Jake and Emily and watched him throw. He's put up consistently great numbers at every level he's been at. He's never really closed, although they're using him in higher leverage situations in Toledo. That's a good thing. He's never really had a pitch the eighth or ninth inning. He usually pitched the seventh, you know, and, uh, you know, probably up to ninety-five. I think I heard Chris discuss this on his podcast last week. We have similar concerns about some things about his motion. When Zach, you know, breaks the ball from, you know, he, when pitchers break their hands and they take the ball back, Zach takes the ball behind him. He shows it behind his leg. Hitters get to see it for a really, really long time. Major league hitters love that. There's a famous Tiger pitcher who had that problem, a really, really long arm swing. He threw 100. They drafted him first, I think, in 1997. Mm -hmm. His name was Matt Anderson. Mm -hmm. He did not have a lot of success at the major league level because hitters could see the ball for a really long time before he released it, and that's a dangerous thing to have or allow major league hitters to do. Deception is your friend when you're in the major leagues, so... That's what I worry about, about Zach Houston. Okay, good. Uh, Yeah, Uh,
0: Schreiber, 107 and two-thirds innings pitched as a professional, still has not allowed a home run. That's a pretty remarkable statistic that nobody's even accidentally hit a home run against him.
3: Um, That's pretty pretty amazing, Keenan. Yeah, yeah.
0: And and, and to your point, he's been very good against left-handers in the minor leagues, but he's been devastating against righties. Um, One interesting stat I found is that, You know, this season he's given up 20 hits. With the bases empty, hitters are hitting 0.95 against him, only four base hits. With runners on, 16 hits. So I don't know if there's something there about
3: him pitching out of the stretch or, you know, holding runners on, but something to keep an eye on. I I think something else that we need to understand about Schreiber, because I do follow him like you do at Erie, is he has pitched maybe six or seven times. At the start of the 10th or 11th inning. Sure. When, when they put a runner, put a runner, on, runner on first. On second. On second. Yeah, yeah. Second base, I'm sorry. So, yeah. it's caused him to intentionally walk a few people, or he's pitching, you know, with a lot of duress, not def, you know, not due to his own making, let's say, you know, kinda like mm-hmm. that. And so, even when the run scores, uh it's an unearned run, so you'll notice he has a pretty substantial amount of unearned runs <laughs> against him this year.
2: True. But yeah. uh yeah.
3: But that's all because when he's pitching in extra innings. So um
0: But, but yeah, like his to... his role in the big leagues could be to come in with a guy on second and get off, get a tough right handed hitter out. So mm-hmm. I, I like that he's getting that experience right now. I I, I think that's I don't like that rule. That they've implemented this year, but I understand it and it's probably beneficial. Um in terms of, you know, being a pure baseball fan, I, you know, I just want to see the game play out, but hey, maybe that's benefiting him being able, having to come in and go straight
3: into the stretch with the potential winning run on second yeah, base. I think that's a fair point. I mean, if, if, if the minor leagues are for player development, putting guys in uncomfortable situations are exactly what should be happening in the minor leagues. So, mm-hmm. I, I agree with you about that.
0: Okay. All right, taking a ton of time here already. You got a couple things left. Um, you know, I know you watched Casey Mize start the other day, at least a portion of it. Just wanted to know if you had any takeaways. What did you see there? Well, I'll give you two takes on on
3: Casey Mize. Anybody that follows me knows that did not love Casey Mize. Um, did not love him because. Well, let me let me rephrase it. I guess if we were going to take Casey Mize with the seventh pick in the draft, you know, Mm
1: 1-7,
3: I probably would have loved it. 1-1, didn't like it as much. Why? Because you really hope anybody you're drafting 1-1 as a pitcher throws fastballs, that hitters are going to have a difficult time squaring up even when they're in the zone. And what's happened with Casey Mize, and I think – the other night, I'll even give him pa- i I'll, I'll tell you why I give him a pass on the other night, but I've, I've seen him multiple times. Casey is has struggled late in games, and he's actually struggled even earlier in games when he's had to throw fastballs. And you know, it's in college when you need to use a split and a cutter, and you're you're essentially out commanding and out, you know, because you're much more polished than the hitters you're facing. And you're dominating because of that. It's, you know, a scout's job to evaluate when he's going to play Major League Baseball, how that's going to play. Now, obviously the Tigers think it's going to play well. Okay? Mm-hmm. I, I worry about his fastball. And, you know, I, I've been pretty vocal about that for maybe six or seven weeks. So, well, we're going to find out now. I'll give you a caveat to the other night and to what I'm saying. I think part of the problem is they let Casey Mize call his own game a lot of times, and I think the sequencing he uses allows him to do some of that stuff. I didn't see him throw one high fastball. Okay, In in the way and in the rhythm and in the sequence of how they use his pitches, I have not felt that they maximized what his stuff was. The other thing is he's never pitched this many innings. He's never pitched this deep, and I think you're starting to see how tired he looks, Mm -hmm. okay? Pitches don't have the same life. They don't have the same life now that they did three weeks ago. So some of these things, I think, are potentially fixable, and if they're not, it'll be disappointing. So... um, I change my mind on guys sometimes. I was not a huge Brady Singer fan, but I'll tell you what, even throwing 91 the other night, if you were watching that game, Mm -hmm. Brady, Brady Singer had a lot of life on his fastball, boy. A lot of movement, a lot of swinging and missing, a lot of people getting the bat knocked out of their hands. It was really, really a good fastball the other night. It was much better than the other two times I've seen it. It was... I tip my, ta- my I tip my cap to the kid. He was much better than I had seen him. So, um, Mark, if, if, in this
1: particular draft, you know, there were a lot of people that kind of felt like, you know, there really wasn't that absolute hundred percent one one guy. And uh so, if, if you had to do it, just in your opinion, it, rather than my's with that 1-1, one, one, what direction would you have gone in that case?
3: Well, I mean, look, realizing now, sir, you're not a general manager, I'm, 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 you know I'm, I mean? I'm going to be fair, okay? You know, if, if I could have seen guys play a lot more than I did, I right. would be able to, I, I, you know, I don't want to give a dime store opinion, seeing a guy play two times, not knowing his exit velocities, a bunch of other things. Okay. Of course, of course. Was I enamored, was I enamored with, uh, Kalanik? Yeah, I was enamored with him. What, do I think that from a pitching standpoint, as we discussed earlier, that right-handed pitching that you could probably throw the top 20 right-handers in a hat and 20 was really close to what the second one was? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So, based on that, you would have probably found me to be very aggressively considering uh, taking a hitter, spending less money, and trying to get a pitcher with a second pick, as opposed to the way they did it. Now, do I hope Casey Mize is really good? You know, from what I saw, I'm not so sure he was, you know, better, better than any of the four pitchers they already have. I mean, so it's – and I think that the Cubs and the Yankees and Houston and have all demonstrated, in Boston even, that, you know, you, you try to get hitters and then you try to buy pitchers. And right. And it's typically how the really good teams in baseball – have built their rosters. So the idea that we now have (laughs) five right-handed pitchers, none of who is a top 30 prospect except for Casey Mize, and the only reason he's top 30 is because he was 1-1. We'll see what happens after he starts pitching. Right. It's it's not part of how I think that you build a roster, but we'll find out who's right. They're paying those guys a lot of money to be to be right. They're paying me. I'm paying. I, I'm paying Comcast. To, I, I'm at this point in time. I'm paying Comcast to express my opinions. So, That's right. Right. Hey, right. Uh,
0: on, a, on our draft preview podcast a couple of weeks ago, I said draft arms acquire bats. So it just goes to show I don't know what the hell I'm talking about either. Um, but you know, you and you said you said you you like 2017 Alex Faeo better than better than Mize?
3: And, I did. And Singer? Go, go, Key, I'll tell you, I don't know if you've ever done it. Go, go back and watch the, uh, the the College World Series deciding game <laughs> when Sato threw. Go watch that game and then tell me compare it to what you've watched from Casey Mize the last three or four times and tell me sure. who you like better. Well,
0: that's the thing. Then we, then we draft a guy that's the best of, of let's say my singer and Faito, we, 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 draft Faito and now he, his
3: velocity dips, everybody's freaking out. It's
0: like we can't win.
3: Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, Chip, <laughs> Chip, Chip, Chip did say last night though, sticking up. Yep. And I talked to a few people this week about it. Um, Anthony Senek and I talk from time to time. Fennec told me that, you know, he's asked some of these same questions and, mm. He's hearing that they, they think that his, his velocity will tick back up another, you know, mile or two and he should sit 92-94, which is great, but I, I, you know, if you really watch Fado throw, normally his command is very good. It's not, it, it's not as good almost as mys, but it's good. He has a lot of life on his pitches and he's got a great, you know, he's got a lot of late movement on his fastball normally. And, you know, that slider is really, really good. So, I mean, he's got a lot of pitch ability. So, he's good at sequencing. He's, it's not easy to square up, but I think we're gonna find out how good he is, cause, you know, my prediction is, within the next two, three starts, you know, he, he, by July, he, you know, maybe even before, he'll be, uh, Pitching in Erie, and we'll find out how he does against more sophisticated hitters. Yep, yep, and we'll know.
0: All right. Um Last thing for you tonight. They, I don't remember who it was that posted the minor league organizational home run numbers, and
3: and. <laughs> that, w- was, that, that, w- that was. That w- was. It was Darren, Darren Wilman did that. Darren, right. And
0: we were, we were none too surprised to see that the Tigers were last in all of baseball in minor league home runs. Um, and, and it has nothing to do with our bashers down there in Toledo, who's got a ton of quality AAA hitters down there, right? Um, but, but in Erie and Lakeland and West Michigan, there's just a severe power outage in the organization. There's
3: power outage at Toledo, too. Take Kristen Stewart out of that equation and what do you got? Do you <laughs> got nothing. How about this? Jake Rogers has five homers after tonight, right? Well, he's got six now. Six homers.
2: Mhm. Leads homers.
3: Uh, Jake Rogers. Hmm. <laughs> Jake Rogers hitting 179, leads Erie in homers, and he has zero doubles. Hey, Jake
0: Robson is right behind him, though.
3: And Jake Picatella. Robson you know there's 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 a, there's a joke between Brandon Brandon Roger Chris and I about Jake Robson because I think secretly in our we have a we have a continuous chat going probably since February and uh <laughs> I've never been real friendly to the skill set of Jake Robson. I don't usually get too excited about guys with a 100 ISO career and uh I have to admit that this year I, he has earned some begrudging respect for two things. One, he wa- he's walking a pretty decent amount,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and two, he's he's been very consistent with how well he's hit. He's kind of like I, I, I tease the boys and tell them that he's kind of like Brett Gard, Brett Gardner light now. So that's kind of what he seems like. Okay. So and maybe. Cool. It'll be useful. Yeah, Toolsy. huh? I don't know about that, but (laughs) I mean, what I'll leave what I'll leave you with from a philosophical standpoint: prospects are great things. Okay, they're a lot of fun, but it's really hard to take any prospect very seriously until they're doing things well and reasonably consistently at double A, because for sure the The proficiency level of play below Double A, you 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 don't have to do things well all the time. Double A is kind of a line of demarcation. So when guys are doing it's hard, you know it's not it's fun to be excited about players Mm -hmm. before Double A, but until they do it there, you can't really get serious about them being potential major league contributors until that point. So that that's been always my theory of things which Good is way. why it's really
1: which is why it's really tough to put Casey Mize in a you know number 1 or number 2 prospect ranking.
3: Don't you think? I mean, look, you you, watch, you you like college baseball, you watch, you obviously got a chance to see him a few times what were your thoughts about him? Yeah, I I I agree. I mean, I think when you're talking about a college the
1: college game, you know, look at his look at his two starts in the in the tournament. You know, he faces a, a team in Army that has no draftees in the minor, his Major League Baseball draft, goes seven innings, four hits, one earned, 11 strikeouts, two walks. You know, then he goes up against Florida, who's got three offensive players drafted. Two of them played. catcher didn't play in that game uh, that was drafted. But, you know, three offensive players drafted and goes five innings, seven hits, six earned, five, you know, five Ks and four walks. But those are, you know, a matter of, what, three, four days apart. So... You know, his, his, the things that you mentioned, his durability or his, uh, you know, a, a, this far down the season, those were the same. This is the same pitcher. So what that can, what his durability can show late in a season is shown more right there uh, in two games within four days against two completely different teams. And, you know, the control is, is uh, nice. You know, very nice, right? I mean, the control is very nice. The strikeout to walk ratio is incredible. Uh, but let's, let's get to the point where we're playing pro v pro, right? And, and let's see what happens when, when he's up against a, a, uh, a team full of draftees.
3: Well, here, you know? here's what I'll, here's what I'll say to you about Mike. One of the reasons I gave him a pass on the other night. And I think, I don't know, I think you and I might have gone back and forth a little bit. Max Boltman and I from The Athletic were talking about it a little bit. And that is, once he started, you could see from the second inning on, when he, everything he threw to his glove side. So, you know, to the outside, outside to right-hand hitters, you know, it was ending up off the plate or in the left-hand hitter's box. Okay? And that's not really... How he had thrown all year. I mean, yes, he would miss with pitchers, but he was falling behind 2-0 on every hitter, really struggling with his glove glove side. He was flying open like crazy. He hasn't really done that a lot this year. And to me, that screams, I'm tired. That's what it screamed to me. He walked, how many guys did he walk in that game? in in the uh in the floor, the game against florida was uh, yeah. four five strikeouts, four walks mhm so you I think know, he had four i think he had twelve walks on the entire season exactly in the game.
1: yep yep exactly yep i mean going into the tournament he had two against the army and and four against Florida that's six walks i mean i think that's a third of his entire year's
3: walk total see so. that scream screams being tired to me sure so um but yeah i mean it, i, I Look, there, there were some, you know. I mean, did did you like? What did you think of Singer in that game? By the way. Oh, very impressive.
1: I mean, uh, what else can I say? I can't really add to anything you mentioned a few minutes ago. You know, it, it was impressive. Uh, and it's now Florida's offense is I I, I think a, a little better than Auburn's offense, but you know in, in a in a matchup of those two teams, those those are two great college baseball teams. So, you know if you're if you're looking at them just versus each other, uh, certainly Singer looked like he was much more comfortable, much more polished, and and more fresh. I agree. Yeah,
3: he looked he he had. There, that was a pretty dynamic fastball. It wasn't just the velocity. It was the no, movement.
1: It, really, it's not, ne- I mean, it's, I mean, how often is it about the velocity? Really? I mean, it, Greg Maddox can win 15 or more games in 15 straight seasons throwing 89. You mean know, yeah, really? Mike Fiers?
0: Mike Fiers? <laughs>
3: Stop Mike Fiers Jr. Mike F- by the way, guys, Mike Fires, pretty fun to watch most of the time, yeah. I agree, no
0: doubt, no doubt. Trade beat.
3: <laughs> Don't disagree. Makes right, me feel so. bad that he that he's thrown that well, and he and you have Jordan Zimmerman. You're paying twenty five million dollars with the same kind of stuff, and uh, one can get people out, the other one can't. So.
0: Yeah. So you know, we we got off on a little tangent a little bit, but really, the ultimate question I was trying to get at with you was. Given that power shortage, and I want to update you, Jake Rogers, three home <laughs> runs tonight. Oh,
1: wow! <laughs> you kidding me? Good for him?
0: Yeah, twelve nothing SeaWolves in the bottom of the ninth. Unbelievable. Um, but are but are you pleased with some of the? You know, we took six position players Here. in the top ten. In the oh geez, sounds like you're under some heat over there.
3: No, uh, I just I, I just threw on me a piece of hamburger. Oh, right. Sorry. <laughs> no.
0: Uh, Six position players in the top ten rounds. Um, you know, is that adequate? Yeah. You know, obviously Clemens is raking right now in the College World Series. Everybody's talking about him as, as a power source. But overall, do you think you know the, the the front office made a an effort to address the lack of impact bats in our system? I think,
3: at the start, I think that you know the we have some trades coming up. We, you know, July 2nd, you can start signing international players, which I think you forget, but that's upon us. And mm-hmm. you'd like to think that they'll be aggressive. They've been woefully poor in that aspect of their scouting, you know. And so we'll see. But, yeah, philosophically, do I think they look, if I'm Avila I'd be a little nervous that you need to start showing a few things. Don't you think so? So I, I, I think that you can't, if you're going to, you know, David, the one thing I will say to you about position players, but in general I think it's part of a bigger change in theory, and that is for the first time in the last three weeks, I – can see from a documented standpoint that they are using all the technology available in modern-day player evaluation in baseball to try to scout players in a 2018 way, whether it's their own, other people's. I mean, you know, part of a query, you know, the Dodgers are seemingly really, really proficient. Picking other people's estate sale garbage, and every year get a player or two that really helps them. I mean, Max Muncy, go look it up. All right, they do this every year, you know. Um, Brandon Morrow, go go look it up. He, you know, he was sitting in an airport, you know, before last year. He had about six surgeries. If you don't use the technology, you got to find players anywhere you can find them. And at least now, it seems like they've gotten into modern-day baseball, and maybe they'll unearth a player or two. Do I think they're trying a lot harder? Yeah. I think they're trying harder because they know they're going to get fired if they don't. (laughs) So, I mean, the bottom line is, look, we could have had Billy Epler as the GM instead of Al Avila. I've tweeted that many times. OK, I mean, there there have been plenty of GMs that have been, you know, the guys that run the Diamondbacks, turn their organization around pretty quickly. Billy Epler and, you know, L.A. There are a, are a few others, the guys in Milwaukee. I mean, they, there are other GMs that were hired in the same timeline as Alavila Avila. And those teams seem to be doing pretty well. And, you know, we still are trying hard to just get in the game much less be in the game so i'm i'm happy to see that we're trying harder that would be my answer
2: okay fair enough fair enough
0: um look i think that's all i got for you tonight mark really really appreciate it enjoyed the conversation uh can't, can't believe this is the first time we've spoken live but I, I hope we get a chance to do it again uh i'd like to get up there and, and go to a ball game with you talk baseball and, had a great time. Appreciate all the words of encouragement you've given me, um, you know, privately and publicly on Twitter. It's nice to have that kind of, you know, feel welcomed into the circle a little bit.
3: And just want to say thank you to you. Yes, Keenan, you are in the circle of trust. That is true.
1: <laughs> um,
3: and I, I appreciate you both asking me. Uh, I think it's a great addition to the podcast universe. And I appreciate you giving me an hour to voice my opinions. Um and hopefully, hopefully things will look up for the Tigers Uh, and I, I like I said I appreciate that you guys asked me
0: very good yeah if you want to follow Mark at sports SPORTZ 5176 on Twitter Um, just so you know I'll be on the SRD podcast with Chris and Roger later this week so uh, be sure to look for that uh, you can follow me at Tiger underscore Lifer or on my Facebook page Detroit Tigers minor league tracker um Thanks again, Mark. Really appreciate having you. And, uh, talk to you soon. Thanks a lot for having me. Have a great night. Thanks, Mark. Hey.
2: Thanks. Good night. Good night.